0: Good morning. Uh, As Will said, it's page 884 in the Bible, the book of Daniel, chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashbanaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, abenigo but daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and he asked the chief official for permission not to defy himself this way now god had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to daniel but the official told daniel i'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age the king would then have my head because of you At the end of the ten days they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men God gave knowledge and understanding all kinds of literature and learning and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of time set by the king to bring them in the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus.
1: This is the word of the Lord. Gustav. Like I say, I'm dreadful under pressure, so definitely no judgment here. But this morning, I'm going to be speaking to you about how to have integrity when you're under pressure. Now, 13 years ago, last weekend, uh, my wife Megan and I got married. Uh, Thank you. I I mean, I wasn't expecting that, but thank you. 13 years. Uh, And in the run-up to the big day, as most soon-to-be-married couples do, we were busy planning our honeymoon. Uh, and we chose, you know, where we wanted to go. We'd selected like the exact place and the package and everything. So I kind of I left it to Megan to do all of the bookings and get it sorted. Uh, and you know, she got everything sorted. We were really looking forward to it. And then a couple of weeks out from the wedding, we hadn't heard anything from the travel company, so I was getting a bit concerned. And I was going to chase up chase them up, but um, we we received a surprise phone call from Megan's dad. He rang to say. I've just opened the post and I've received two tickets to the Maldives. Uh, It looks like Tom and I are going on honeymoon together. (laughs) It turns out that Megan's dad was already registered with that travel company and they'd made an administrative mess up and they put it in his name instead of hers. So I was that close to going on honeymoon with my father-in-law. All because they had messed up the names. They got the names wrong. And this morning, we're going to see that uh, names are really important. Names are important because what we find is that um, our identity is intrinsically linked to our integrity. So as we're opening this new series on Daniel, as Will said, we are, we're looking at this specific, specifically in this season as a church. Although it's 2,500 years old, it still has truth to speak today because Daniel, the book of Daniel, is all about a man who was drawn into a fierce battle between God's way and the world's way, between God's path to life and the world's way to success. And we believe that this is prophetic because it speaks into the battles that many of us face in our everyday lives. The choice between God's way and the world's way. So if you've ever faced a situation where your integrity has come under pressure for being a believer, maybe you're fe- facing one right now today. If, you've, if that's ever happened to you, this morning the first chapter of Daniel has something to speak into your life. So let's keep our Bibles open on page 884 as we explore this exciting text together. As we do that, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which speaks life through the ages, through the power of your spirit. You always have something new to say. So we pray, Lord, that you would be speaking to us this morning. Make us attentive to your words, not my words, but your words, that it would be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And to understand what's going on, when we start a new series, we always need to do a little bit of legwork to place ourselves in the story to look at the context. Now, you might know a bit of the background. If we go right back to the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we know God created the heavens and the earth, and then God created men and women to to live with him on this newly created earth in perfect harmony. But things don't go well, it doesn't last long, The, the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, fall short, they mess up and because of that they have to leave God's presence, they can't live there anymore. But God still has a plan for the world so he calls out one nation of people, the Israelites, to show who he is to the rest of the world. He blesses them so they can be a blessing to the whole world. He calls out the nation of Israel. He gives them a land. He gives them somewhere to live. And all because the idea is that through giving them a blessing, they will help other people to see the goodness that he brings. But again, things don't go well, and the leaders and the people of Israel mess up. They, they forget that actually they're called in, to show the rest of the world who God is, and they think it's all about them. They think the responsibility they've been given is for their glory, and not for God's glory. They think it's because they deserve it. And it ends up getting really messy. They descend into civil war because they're so selfish. And the kingdom splits into two, into Israel and Judah. Uh, and we're going to be picking up the story of Judah today. So Israel, um, something else happens to them, which is in another book of the Bible. We're not looking at that in our Daniel series. We're focusing on what happens to the people of Judah. So they've descended into civil war. The nation is split. So obviously there are going to be consequences There have to be consequences. And that is where we join the story today in the book of Daniel. So let's look at what those consequences were. We go straight in, in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia. So this, on the face of it, is total humiliation for God's people. Because of their selfishness, God causes this massive empire, Babylon, to invade them and completely take them over. And in the ancient world, all wars and conquests were viewed as battles between gods. So basically, Israel, uh, Judah getting completely wiped out by Babylon, that would have been viewed as a total victory for the god of Babylon, who was called Bel. And Yahweh, the God of, uh, God of Judah, the God of Israel, would have been viewed as weak. So Bel was strong, Yahweh was weak in this context. But it gets even worse for God's people because we read on in verses 3 and 4 that the king of Babylon doesn't just invade their land and, and steal the treasures, the holy treasures out of the temple, but he also steals Judah's best people. He selects all the young men with status, you know, with looks and brains and, and kind of presents. He takes the cream of the crop and he takes them, carries them off into Babylon. And he puts them in a kind of induction programme. I don't know if you've ever done one of those at work where you're kind of, you go to a new organisation and you're taught the ways that that organisation works. You get inducted into all their policies and all their history. That's kind of on a small level. That's what's going on here. It would be like Crystal Palace beating Man City in the Champions League final. Don't laugh too hard. Um, and then after the game... It would be like Palace signing all the best players from Man City. I can dream. Please let me dream for a moment. But we read about four of these star players, uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who were all put on this program. they have been inducted into their new team. They're being taught the ways and the tactics of the new team. They were going to learn to fit completely into that environment. They were going to be taught to live like Babylonians, to eat like Babylonians, to think like Babylonians. And the final thing, the thing that would underline all of this, that would confirm their complete transformation from Israelites to Babylonian comes in verse 7. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Now, this probably doesn't sound like a big deal to us by today's standards, does it? You know, have a think about how many different names you've been known by in your life. You know, you all know me as Tom. That's what kind of my name is to the world. But if you were to talk to my university friends, they call me Tommy. Uh, And some of my home friends uh, would know me, believe it or not, as P. Chill. Um, It was one of those nicknames that stuck. There's a long story behind it, I can tell you afterwards. But that was how I was known to those people. But names were huge in the Bible. The name that you received spoke truth about who you were. It defined your character. Think about, in the course of the Bible, how many times we see people's names being changed. You know, we have Abram becoming Abraham, father of many. We have Jacob becoming Israel, God fights. We have Simon becoming Peter, which means the rock. Not Dwayne Johnson, crucially, he nicked it from Peter. Um, a change of name was really significant because it defined, from that moment on, it defined who that person was then going to go on to be. So let's have a look at what's going on here in Daniel and see why that matters in this account. You can see what Daniel means. It means God is my judge. And bel means Bell is my protector. Isn't that significant? When we know... That Bel is the God of the Babylonians, and in the eyes of all the people watching, Bel would have been victorious because he conquered uh, Judah. So you can see the significance of the choice that Daniel is facing. Was he going to forget his roots? Was he forgo- going to forget his God? Was he going to pledge his allegiance to his new nation and his new God? Would he conform to his surroundings? Would he pursue acceptance? in his new culture, trading his trust in Yahweh for the protection of the God of the Babylonians? Or would he stand firm, trusting in the God that he knew was right and just? So everything else in Daniel's life hinges on this moment right here, doesn't it? How would he respond? Well, we don't have to wait long for the answer. It comes in verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Daniel stands his ground. He refuses to eat the king's food, even though it would have been amazing. It would have been like top of the range, kind of like everything that you ever dreamed of eating. And all the other people, all the other guys who were inducted into the king's court would have been eating this food. Daniel refused. And then in the rest of the book, he refuses to, be, um, he refuses to use the new name. Other people call him Belteshazzar but he only ever refers to himself by the name Daniel. Isn't that interesting? And Daniel's choice, in many ways, echoes the choice that we face today in our everyday lives. Because the reality for us is that we are also living in exile. We aren't Israelites living in Babylon, but we are citizens of heaven living in the world. So I'm just going to show you, hopefully this will work. I'm going to show you one example that I, I watched online this week of how, um, how the world tries to bring us under its own culture and puts pressure on us to go with the way that it works. So I'm going to show you an advert that I saw online. Look. Because you can. You know, this advert isn't just trying to sell us Diet Coke, is it? It is trying to do that, but it's also reinforcing the lie of the world that we find our identity from somewhere within. Um, Our identity is about being us, expressing ourselves. That's how we find out truly who we are. You know, you need to live your best life. You need to define yourself. It's all about you. It's all about me. The problem is, that was the lie that took Judah into exile in the first place. You remember, they they got consumed because they thought it was about them and not about God. But when we're bombarded with this stuff every day, it becomes hard to, kind of forget, to remember actually the truth. It, we forget, don't we, that God um, is our judge and we don't need to look anywhere else for protection. Instead of, "Bell is my protector, stuff like this convinces us that I am my protector. But it could just as easily be like, money is my protector or reputation is my protector. Or friends are my protector. Or fun is my protector. You see, just like Babylon, our culture teaches us its assumptions. It tests our loyalty and then it tries to change our habits. It compels us to seek protection in worthless things and to make us think, just like Judah, that God had been defeated. So that's the challenge. How can we face up? How can we stand firm in the face of that? Well, I think there are just three things in this text, three ways, three things that Daniel recognises that if we take on board this morning, it will encourage us to be able to stand firm in the face of our culture. And the first thing I think is this, God is sovereign in the battle. God is sovereign in the battle. If you look throughout the passage, you'll see that there is never a point when God is not in control. Um, If we look at verse 2, the slide isn't quite right, but in verse 2, it says, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim of Judah into his hand. The Lord delivered. And then in verse 9, the words on the screen aren't right there, but it says, God caused the official to show favour to Daniel. So God. The Lord delivered and then God caused. That shows that God is still in control. Daniel understood that it was God's plan. It wasn't Daniel's plan. So just as God was able to deliver Judah into the hands of the Babylonians, so God was able to work through Daniel in exile, in his circumstances for his glory. And Daniel has full confidence in God's sovereignty. So he he knows he doesn't need Bell's protection. And the same is true for us. You know, even if it feels like God is absent from our world, absent from our battles, that we've been abandoned in exile, that is not the case. Whatever pressure you are facing at work, whatever pressure you are facing in your social group, God is with you. He's still in control. So that's the first thing we see. God is sovereign in the battle. The second thing we see is God is present. In the struggle, so he's not just in control, but he is really tangibly with you. Verse 17 says, To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So, God isn't like some kind of invisible puppet master here, is He? He's a friend, He's an advocate in every situation, He gives us wisdom. He gives us everything we need to make the right choices, to navigate our circumstances for his glory. I was speaking recently to somebody here in our congregation at LPC who experienced this firsthand. We'll call him Jim for our purposes this morning. That's not his real name. Um, I chose that name because I couldn't think of anybody called Jim here. So if your name is Jim, I apologise. It's not about you. So if you know someone called Jim, it's not about them. (laughs) Um, But Jim worked in an environment where there was um, extreme pressure to embrace the Pride campaign and all the values that go along with that. And one year, this included an instruction for everybody in the organisation to change their email signatures to put their um, preferred pronouns. Now, Jim knew that to affirm this approach for him would be to be complicit in the culture. He wasn't judging anybody else or condemning anybody else for their own choices, but he knew that for him to do this wouldn't be right. He didn't want to be defined um, by what the culture said he had to be defined by, but by what he knew, who he knew himself to be in God. So he refused to go along with it, and he spoke out against it. And this caused a huge backlash. Colleagues accused him of being transphobic, which he, he absolutely wasn't. That wasn't the aim of it. And he was hauled up before the HR kind of department, and he had to defend himself. It was costly for Jim to take a stand. You know, he wasn't judging anybody else. He wasn't judging anyone else's choices or, um, or their decisions. He wasn't condemning anyone. But he knew that God's truth is more life-giving than any truth that the world gives us, and, and, and he had a duty to share that. So like Daniel, the wisdom of the Spirit was in him, and it worked through him, and it enabled him to refuse to conform to the world's way of thinking. He wasn't trying to lead a holy war. He was doing like what Daniel did in this passage, just gently pushing back and saying, actually, no, this isn't, this isn't right. This isn't what I believe. I'm going to do it a different way. You know, I'm humbled by Jim's testimony because I look back on my previous career in the police and I think of all the times that I just went along with what everybody else was doing because I didn't question it or because I didn't ask God um, what was the right thing in that environment. So God is sovereign in the battle God is present in the struggle and God, the final thing, God is victorious in the end. You know, Babylon was the most powerful empire in the whole world at the time. There was nothing that could compete with its um, power and authority. But this text tells us that the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, the God that we worship, the God that we believe in, is more powerful and will outlast any earthly kingdom and his plan is For us is life-giving. Because just 40 years after these guys were taken into exile, these four men, the empire of Babylon crumbled to rubble. It was non-existent. It was overtaken by the Persian empire under King Cyrus. So you can see it there in verse 21. The final verse of this passage, it said, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So this tells us that Daniel outlasted the most powerful empire on the face of the earth, all because he trusted in his God. And the great news for us is that unlike Daniel, we don't have to wait for some sort of distant final victory. The final victory has already been achieved for us 2,000 years ago when Jesus hung on a cross for our sake. It's God's final victory over sin and selfishness. And you know, just like Babylon invading Israel, the cross felt like a defeat it, to all intents and purposes it should have been a defeat but we know that God is sovereign don't we so if Jesus hung on a cross there must have been a purpose to it and the good news for us this morning is that there was a purpose to it and that purpose is to give you a new identity It's to give you a new name remember the significance of names in the Bible. We'll write at the end of the book of Revelation in chapter 22, we read that the Lamb of God, Jesus, will write his name on our foreheads as believers. And you know what Jesus' name means? The Lord saves. The Lord saves. And that means you don't need a protector because you have the best one going. You're under the protection of the Saviour King. Because the Son of God took your sins and your selfishness to the cross, you don't need the protection of bell. You don't need the protection of reputation or success. The God of Israel is your protector, and He has already won the victory. And that means that your identity isn't found in the external stuff. It's not found in the culture around you. Your identity isn't found on the inside. It's not being your best self or living your best life. Your true identity is found in the name of your Saviour, Jesus Christ. And as I finish, when we live in that truth, when we're secure in our identity in Jesus Christ, then he pours his Holy Spirit into us. He gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all the things that we will ever need to make the right judgments in every situation. For Daniel, his anchor was his total security in the God who had made him. And that's what enables him to draw the line and say, no, too far. To maintain his integrity under pressure. And that's the same for us. When we know that we are saved by Jesus and under the authority of his name, we can stand firm. When we're secure in his love and filled with his Holy Spirit, we'll be able to withstand the pressure no matter how extreme. I wonder, for you, where is the battleground? Is it the office? Is it the school gate? Is it the rugby club or a friendship group? Wherever the world is stripping you of your identity in God and trying to get you to conform, remember that you have a God who is sovereign in the battle, who is present in the struggle, and who is victorious in the end. And that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. If you stand firm in the Lord, it inevitably means that you're going to be rejected by the culture, you'll be rejected by the world. But it does mean that you will be under the authority of the name of the King, and that He could do a work in you that will outlast any human empire. Amen.